We are continuing our series and we're working our way verse by verse through the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And so today uh, we find ourselves in verse number 22. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 22. The Bible says, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Riveting, exciting, right? An example of faith. What, what does this look like? Faith is living with a hopeful expectation in God. Living by faith is living in a way that makes it very obvious that I trust God and I trust his word. And the reason that it's obvious is because my attitude and my outlook in life is hopeful. The, the plans and decisions that I make are made based on what God has said because I have this expectation that God is going to be faithful to his word and that God is going to work. And so I'm hoping, I'm expecting, I'm looking ahead, believing that God is going to work. That's what part of what living by faith is all about. That's one of the lessons about faith that we learn in Hebrews 11. And we see it in every example that's given to us, but we want to think specifically about this example that's given to us in verse 22. So more about this character and this story. Now anyone who's familiar with Bible characters is not surprised to see Joseph on this list. We're not surprised to see Joseph here. Uh, For those that are not as familiar, Joseph is a a member, he's actually the last member of a group of characters that we refer to collectively as the patriarchs. And we've already seen some of these guys in Hebrews 11. Noah and Abraham and Isaac, these are the patriarchs. And we read about all of them in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And in fact, Joseph is the last one in this group. And the most chapters in the book of Genesis are dedicated to his life. Starting in chapter 37, all the way to the end, chapter 50 in Genesis, we read about Joseph. And for those, again, if you're familiar, you know this, but for those that are not, if you were to read about Joseph's life, if you were to start in 37 of Genesis, go to the end, what you'd see is that Joseph lived a fascinating life. And that there were, all, there were many moments in his life where he trusted God and where God worked in his life. So it's not a surprise to see Joseph in this section of the book of Hebrews. What is a little bit surprising is the moment in his life that is given to us as an example. Because the bottom line is that there's just way more exciting and interesting moments in his life. But the writer of Hebrews, as they're carried along by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, to write these words, what we are given is this moment in Joseph's life, literally the last moment of his life. Joseph on his deathbed. The full um, accounting of this moment is in Genesis 50, verses 22 through 26. I want to read this passage because it's going to give us more context, help us better understand why is this moment such an example of faith. Genesis 50 verses 22 through 26, the Bible says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. 
So Joseph died, and being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the moment where Joseph lives by faith. This is the example that is given to us. He has come to the end of his journey. He's preparing to die. And he says, I want my family to gather around. I want everybody to come in close. I have something I want to tell you. And he reminds them of the promises that God has made to them. To their uh, great-grandpa Abraham. He promised that from our family would come a great nation, a people. And that one day God is going to give to this people a land. And Joseph is so certain that God is going to keep that promise. He's so certain that God is going to be faithful to what he said that he gives instructions to his family. He says, I want you to take my remains and I want them to be prepared in such a way so that they can be taken. When God visits us, when he takes us out of here to wherever it is we're going, I want to go along for the ride. Now, the, exactly what the reason for that can be, a, uh, can be a little bit a question to wonder, but I think the answer is very simple. Joseph is so excited about what God is going to do in the future. He is so ready to see God work that even in death, even, even his bones, he said, I want to be part of that. I want to have a, a role in that. And so his family honors his request. When Joseph dies, his body is prepared in such a way, it's placed into a coffin, no tomb, no, um, uh, uh, no burial area like would be common in Egypt. He's put into a coffin and his remains are accessible so that when God works, they can be taken along. And for generations, Joseph's body, his, this coffin, is going to represent a constant reminder to God's people of the promises that God made. And not only that, but an enduring example of what faith looks like. Because Joseph, in his final moments, has peace. He has hope. In his final moments, he is looking ahead into the future, and he's expecting God to work. And so he literally is making plans. He's giving instructions. He's telling people in his family, here's what I want you to do, because that's how confident I am that God is going to work. That is what living by faith is all about. I am so sure that God is going to do what he says he will do. I'm so sure he'll be faithful to his word. I'm so sure he'll be faithful to me that the plans I make and the steps I take are going to make that obvious to anyone that's around me. I trust God and I trust his word. And so we see in Joseph, in this moment, this great example of faith. And I want us, as we think about this idea of it being hopeful and expectant, I want to think of at least three ways where we see that specifically in this moment in Joseph's life. Think about this. Joseph has a hopeful expectation in the word of God. Joseph is confident in what God has said. In that passage in Genesis, in verse 24 of chapter 50, he says, which he swear. He's recounting to them the promises that God made, and he said, this is what God said. I mean, we're not talking about my words, or someone else's words, or even great-grandpa Abraham's words. We're talking about what God said. He swear it unto us. This is his word. And as a result, in verse 22, it says that of, uh, of Hebrews 11, he says, he gave commandment to them concerning his bones. For Joseph... It is not unreasonable to make plans based on what God has said. In fact, for Joseph, not only is it not unreasonable, the most reasonable and logical thing that you can do is to make plans based on God's word. 
is to live your life, make your decisions, decide what you're going to do based on what God has said. Because Joseph has seen in his own life, God say what he's going to do and be faithful to it. Joseph has experienced what it looks like to obey God and to watch God work and be faithful. Now, we do not obey God and we're not faithful to his word so that he will bless us. It's not about us first. It's about him. He's worthy of our worship and our obedience. But there is no question when you look in Scripture that what you see is that God's word works because God works in accordance with his word. And when you and I are faithful to his word, God will work. I'm thankful that God's not done speaking. I'm thankful that he's still speaking today. I'm thankful that we have a gift from him. There's written revelation. It's a book we call the Bible. And so as we think about having a hopeful expectation in the word, where I'm going to take what God says and live it out in my life and watch God work, I have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we have this kind of confidence in God's word? Do we have this kind of expectation in God's word? You have conflict in your family. People aren't getting along. I don't know if your family has that. My family has a little bit of that, right? People aren't getting along. Why are we going to handle it the way we're going to handle it? How we decide? Well, let's see what God says. We've got resources, financial resources, physical resources. How are we going to steward these? What are we going to do with this stuff that God gives us? Well, let's see what God has to say about it. This is what it looks like to have hope and confidence in God's word. Because I'm going to take what he has said and I'm going to do something with it. And if you and I as believers are going to live the way that Joseph lived in his final moments, it's going to be because we receive the word of God into our lives, we know what it says, and we live lives of faithfulness and obedience to it. And so we have to prioritize receiving the scriptures into our lives. What are the ways that we receive scripture into our lives? Some of the most basic are the daily reading and meditation of scripture personal study of scripture getting under the preaching and teaching of the word in church these are some of the ways we receive scripture into our lives and we have to prioritize the word we have to prioritize the scriptures because if I'm going to live with this kind of hope and confidence if I'm going to take what God has said and do something with it I have to know what it says And so I have to make a priority of God's word. If the only time, believer, that you hear the word is when you come to this place, you are missing something that God has for you in your life. You need the word. I need the word. We need to be receiving it into our life. We need to make a priority of it. We've got time for this. We've got time for that. Do you have time for God's word? The truth is that if I ignore and neglect the scriptures, I am more likely to do what I think is best or what culture tells me is best and ignore what God's word says. And so I need to make a priority of it. I need to receive it into my life. The first psalm gives us a glimpse of what it looks like when a believer puts the priority on scripture, puts the priority on receiving God's words so that I can then take it and obey it and watch what happens. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3, blessed is the man. That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There are spiritual blessings and spiritual depth that comes when we prioritize scripture. There are plenty of voices 
There are plenty of uh, um, uh, uh, idols in this world longing for your attention, longing for your worship. God and God alone is worthy of our worship. God's word alone is worthy of our attention. May God give each and every one of us a desire to receive it so that I can know it, so that I can be confident in it, so that I can live it. Beyond the, uh, this application to just our own personal lives, individuals receiving scripture into my life. I, I was convicted in this way as I thought about this. Here's, here's Joseph in this final moment of his life. And he gets his family members around. And there, there's an interesting part in the story. In the text, in, in verse 23 of that account in Genesis, it talks about how Joseph's brothers, so these are his nieces and nephews, it talks about how he, they were brought up on his knees. It talks about this role that Joseph had in their upbringing. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that this is, Joseph did not wait until his dying day to talk to his family about God's word. Joseph did not wait. When Joseph's family gathers around, what they hear and what they see is a man who not only knows what God says, but who is willing to put some uh, uh, work behind it, whose actions reflect their faith. As a parent, my desire is that my children will see in me an obvious confidence in the word. Dad, why are we going to handle it that way? Well, son, because this is what God says we're supposed to do when people are unkind to us. We do to others the way we would have them do to us. Why are we, gonna hand, why, why are we doing that? Uh, why do we go to church on Sundays? Well, because the Bible talks about how we ought to prioritize assembling physically with our brothers and sisters. I don't just want to talk about the word. I want my children to see in me an example of what it looks like to have confidence enough to do something about the word, to do something with what God says. And so if you're here and you have the privilege and opportunity to have an influence in the upbringing and the, and the spiritual growth of people in your life, you ought to take seriously that opportunity to be an example to them. This is what it looks like to trust God's word. This is what it looks like to take what he says and do something with it. This is what it looks like to have an obvious confidence in the word. The question we have to ask ourselves is do we have this kind of hope in the word of God? Am I obeying it? Am I being faithful to it? Because God works when we're faithful to his word. Maybe you're here today and where it starts for you is a decision, a simple decision. I'm going to make some changes in my life so that I can have more of God's word. Because like Joseph, I want to be able to not just talk about it, I want to be able to live it, to do something with what God has said. There's this hopeful expectation in the word. But we don't just see this hope and confidence in God's word. There's another way we see this aspect of faith. We see a hopeful expectation despite present difficulty. We've already established that this is Joseph's final moments. In Hebrews 11, 22, it says, When he died. And in the, in, the, in the passage in Genesis, he brings his family together and says, This is it. I'm dying. This is it. This is a deep Probably the deepest and darkest valley that we'll walk through in this life is the valley of death. And in this moment, Joseph has faith and hope, and he's looking ahead to the future, and he's talking about what God is going to do. How is it that in such a difficult moment in his life, he's literally dying, and yet his faith has never been more alive? How is that possible? Now, there's, the, there's an obvious application here. For any believer, we have a hope in death and it is the hope that we have in Jesus, a hope of an eternity with him. And we could certainly make that application. But I want to think bigger. I want to think broader. I want you to 
take a look at your own life and think about the difficulty and the hardship that you go through and that I go through. The Bible tells us that because we live in a broken and sinful world, we are going to go through difficult things. We're going to go through things that hurt. We're going to go through things that don't make sense. And if you uh, are like me, you've had moments in your life where you have a moment in your life where you can say, that is a trial. This is a valley. We go through difficult things in life. And yet, in Joseph, we have this example of somebody going through that kind of moment, going through a time of testing, and despite all the hurt and the pain and the challenges, he has hope. He has this expectation. God's going to work. God is moving. He's working behind the scenes, and he's going to work it all out for his glory. There's a reason why Joseph can, do, can live this way in this moment, because this isn't the first time that Joseph has gone through trial and testing in his life. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, and he enjoyed being the favorite son of his father. And that drew the anger of his brothers. They assaulted him. They threw him into a pit. The plan was to kill him. They finally just sold him off. And then he was taken to Egypt, where he was sold into the home of a man named Potiphar. Things went pretty well there for a while, until Joseph was falsely accused for something that he didn't do. And he ended up in prison in Egypt. Joseph has gone from pits to prisons, from his uh, family, with, his, with people that he loved, to a foreign land. He's gone all over the place. It's been up and down. And through it all, Joseph has seen that even in difficulty, God is faithful. Even in hard times, God is working. And so Joseph has this confidence that even though I'm in, I find myself in such a difficult time in my life, I'm still trusting God. At, at the very end of his life, just before what we read here together, Joseph's brothers end up in Egypt. Long story, but let me just tell you, they were not thrilled about the possibilities of being uh, on the receiving end of Joseph's wrath. But in Genesis 50 and verse 20, Joseph says this to his brothers, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph knows that even in the middle of difficult circumstances, even in, the, in, in hard times, God is always working. That he's in, in, he's in the details. That he's working things out for his good, for your good, and for his glory. And you can have faith and you can have confidence. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what trial and what test, what, what hurt or what pain, but I know this. God is good. God is faithful. He will not forsake you. He is always there for you, and in him you can find hope and peace. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul the Apostle writes about this. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This is the confidence that we have in the God who we serve. He's always working. He's always faithful. In that same passage later on, in, uh, starting in verse 35, he just lays it out there for us. What is our hope even in spite of the difficulty that we face? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the struggles that you're dealing with. I don't know about the pain and the hurt, but I know that God does know, and he does see, and he feels, and there's nothing, nowhere you can go, nothing that can happen in your life, no pain too deep that can separate you from his love, from his presence, and from his plan. If you will trust him, he will be faithful to you. God is always working. Sometimes we can't see it, but he's always working. There are people in this room who if opportunity was given, they could testify. I didn't understand it all in the moment. I didn't understand the pain. I didn't understand why. But then I can look back and I can see that God was working, that he had a plan, that there was something that he wanted to accomplish in my life. And they can testify of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Now let me just say something. Sometimes we come to church and we very much spiritualize our suffering. And what I mean by that is that we come to church and we talk about having faith in God and trusting him and he's working and all of it is true, 100%. And I hope that those truths are something that you can rest in and find stability in. But the reality is that that does not minimize in any way the very real pain and hurt and frustration and questions that we have in the midst of difficult circumstances. And sometimes we feel like we just can't even be honest. Honesty feels like sin. I can't be honest about how I feel. I can't be honest about the fact that I'm a little angry. I can't be honest about the fact that I have questions. And can I tell you something? The same good and faithful God who is sovereign over all things is not in any way worried about your questions. What I mean is, when you cry out to God in frustration and say, I don't get it, I don't understand it, it hurts, can you explain it to me? God is not up in heaven going, whoa, 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 calm down, I mean, I'll see what I can do. He's not, when there is nothing that you're going through in this life that's going to intimidate him. He's in control, he loves you, he sees and he knows. And so rather than pretending like everything is fine, it's okay to just be honest about the fact that you go through some stuff and it hurts. And I hate it. And I wish it would stop. It's okay. In fact, if there's any place you ought to be able to come and put your arms around a brother or a sister and say, I just got to be honest with you. I don't get it. I'm frustrated. I'm hurting. Can you help me? If there's any place where that kind of honesty ought to be welcomed, it ought to be in this place in the church. Don't pretend like you're not hurting. Don't pretend like you've got it all together. Don't pretend like everything's fine when it's not. Instead, why don't we just gather together as broken and hurting people and rest in the goodness and the grace and the faith of God. Why don't we just embrace the struggle and the reality of our pain and just watch as God works in only the way that he can to comfort us and love us and to help us. That's what his, that's what his goodness to us is all about. There's a lot of places in scripture that we could go that talk about this, this tension that exists between the reality of how we feel and the pain that we have and the faithfulness of God. There's a pretty lengthy passage in 2 Corinthians, and I I only prep you for that. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture. I don't want you to get distracted. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture. The Word of God has power. The Word of God can change us. So we want to listen, and we want to welcome the Word of God and this perspective that holds in tension, that holds in balance this tension between the very real way that I feel and the hope that we have in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 18. And just 
Let the word of God work in your heart. The Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, and that life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed... And therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the pain that you're feeling. I don't know the questions that you have, but I know that there is a God who is good, who is faithful, who is working on your behalf and mine. So ask all the questions, feel all the pain, rest in all the hurt, but he is good and faithful to you. There is nothing that he cannot accomplish in your life, nothing that he cannot bring to pass in your life. God is good and faithful all the time. There are people in this room, you can give testimony of this. I listened to a song a couple months ago, I can't stop listening to it. I've witnessed it. Part of it goes like this, when I was lost and all alone, your presence was where I found home. You were there and you're here right now. In every high and every low, you never left me without hope. You were good and you're good right now. I've witnessed your faithfulness. I've seen you breathe life within, so I'll pour out my praise. You're worthy, God. You're worthy of all of it. Your promises never fail. I've got stories I live to tell, so I'll pour out my praise again. You're worthy. You're worthy of all of it. Later on, it says you heal, and I've witnessed it. You save, and I've witnessed it. You love, and I've witnessed it, and I'm confident that you'll do it again and again. You're good, and I've witnessed it. You're strong, and I've witnessed it. You're constant, I've witnessed it, and I'm confident that I'll see it again and again and again. God is faithful to us, and he knows what's going on in your life, and even in the middle of difficult circumstances, you, like Joseph, can have hope and confidence and faith that makes it obvious to people around you there's something bigger that they're putting their faith in, there's something stronger that they're resting their hope in, there's something more, something beyond this world, something that doesn't make sense. It must be only of God. I have a hopeful expectation, even in spite of the circumstances that I'm going through. So the question we have to ask ourselves is if you're going through difficulty in your life, are you experiencing the same kind of questioning and difficulty? Are you resting? Are you hoping? Are you trusting in what God can do and wants to do in your life? There's one last way in which we see this idea of a hope 
and an expectation. And it's this idea of future blessings. The future is very unknown and very much out of our control. And that's what makes it scary. But for Joseph, the future is bright. Joseph is on his deathbed and he's looking ahead into a future. And what Joseph sees in the future is a future where God shows up. A future where God works. A future where God keeps his promises. A future where God takes his people from where they are to a place that he has for them. When Joseph looks into the future, and he has hope, not because he has all the answers or because he's got control of it, but because he's trusting in a God who he believes does have control of it. In verse uh, 22 of Hebrews 11, and he talks about making mention of the departing of the children of Israel. He's looking ahead to this moment, this event. In the Genesis account, he says, God will visit us. God will visit us. Now, those that are familiar with the story, and if you're not, we know that this is fulfilled in what we call the Exodus. When God's people are delivered from bondage in Egypt, and they're led out uh, be, uh, by Moses, and God worked in a mighty, mighty way, right? It, it, that's what Joseph is looking ahead with expectation. And there are at least two other events, moments where God shows up that are uh, very obvious parallels to what uh, Joseph was looking ahead to and what you and I have hope for. Uh, the first one, the first uh, event that is paralleled with what uh, Joseph saw in the future is something that's already happened. Jesus came to this earth he lived and he died and was buried and he rose again. This thing we call the gospel. And because of the gospel, we have hope for the future. I have hope for a better days ahead because of what Jesus has done for me. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. One of the reasons I have hope today in the future is because of what Jesus did for me, because of the God gospel, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, there are some who are here this morning, and you say, Pastor Matt, the idea of looking into the future with any kind of hope seems impossible, because when I look in the past, there's a lot of shame, a lot of regret, a lot of hurt, and it just doesn't seem possible to me with all that back there that, that, that there's going to be anything different up there. It just doesn't seem like there's any hope for the future because of my past. And can I say something to you? That that is what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about giving us a hope for the future in spite of our past. I don't know what's happened in your life, where you've been or what you've done, but I know that he has abundant mercy. That means a lot. And he has enough for you and he has enough for your past or whatever it is that you feel like you can't get past. He can forgive you and he can give you a hope for the future. The Bible describes it there as a lively hope. Why? Because of the resurrection. I can have a hope that animates my faith, that gives me excitement, that gives me hope for better days because Jesus rose again from the grave in victory over death. He's ascended up into heaven. He's on the throne right now. There's nothing that can change that. We have a tremendous amount of hope because of the gospel, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And maybe you're here this morning and for you, 
where it needs to start is you need to turn in faith to Jesus, receive the gift of salvation, and experience the hope that comes from knowing Jesus. There's hope because of the gospel. There's hope because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he wants to continue to do for us. There's a lot of fear, a lot of unknown in our future. I want to think specifically, if you're here this morning, you're a young adult, maybe you're in high school, college age, the future for you, there's a lot there's a lot this way that you don't know about. There's a lot that's ahead of you and you think to yourself, I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to be doing or who I'm going to be with. There's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And can I invite you to do something? If that's you, if that's the situation you find yourself in, that one thing you want to do is you want to put your future at the feet of Jesus. You want to say, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know where I'm, I don't know what my career or my relationships will look like, but one thing I know for sure about my future, wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be following Jesus in that future. And if you'll be here today and you'll give that future over to Jesus and you'll just say, wherever life takes me, uh, it's going to include a life of following Jesus. He will work and he will bless in that. That's not going to cure all of the anxiety or stress or answer all the questions that you might have. But I know that it'll give you something constant, something fixed that you can put your feet on, that you can rest in. You can have hope for the future because of Jesus. And if you'll commit to following Jesus into the future, maybe you're here, you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you lost sight of him because of what's happening around you because of the difficulties that you're facing can I invite you to get your eyes back on Christ to allow him to give you that firm footing once again to allow him to give you that foundation that 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 thing that will always be constant even though things are changing and not making sense there's this parallel between what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us as Joseph looks ahead one day we're going to be delivered there's the coming of Jesus the gospel but what about the second coming of Christ. Another event where there's an obvious parallel is this promise that we have that Jesus is coming again. Now, if you're new or to the, new to our church, new to the faith, you're visiting, you say, what are you talking about, second coming? For us as Christians, this is a very important part of our faith. Our, our Jesus, he came, he, our Savior, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And we have this promise that he is going to come again. And that he's going to receive those that have believed to himself. We have this hope of the return of Jesus. In that same place uh, in Scripture, in 1 Peter, later on, in verse, uh, starting in verse 6, we read about this promise that Jesus is coming again. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. We have this hope that Jesus is coming again, and and there's nothing that's going to happen in this life that's going to stop that moment from happening. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the clouds are going to open up, Jesus is going to come back the same way he left. He's going to receive us to himself. And, in, and the scriptures tell us we should comfort each other with these words. In, in, the, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, we ought to find comfort in this truth that Jesus is coming again and that he's going to receive us to himself. I'm looking ahead to the future with hope because there is a promise. Jesus is going to come again. I have this hope because of what Jesus has said. There's nothing that's going to stop that. Some of us, we get our eyes 
on the things that are happening in this world, the things that are happening around us, and we start to put our faith and our hope in the things of this world, and it shows. It shows in the way we talk. It shows in the way we act. We don't seem like hope-filled people. We seem like hopeless people. Do you know that there's nothing that can happen anywhere in, anywhere in the world? There's no outcome to any kind of election. There's no law that's passed. There's nothing that can happen in this world that's going to stop Jesus from coming again. There's nothing that's going to knock him off that throne. There's nothing that's going to change the future of the believer. You say, well, if, if God's got it all under control and he's coming again and that's going to handle all that, then I think the best thing for us to do is just hunker down somewhere and just wait it all out. But the Bible makes it very clear that the truth, the promise that Jesus is coming again, it's not meant to make us indifferent or apathetic it ought to motivate us to do something it ought to motivate us to follow uh, to to seek after uh, the purposes that he's put out for us in this world you have a role I have a role to, to proclaim the gospel to see people saved Jesus is coming again and I want as many people as possible to go with me in that moment it gives me a lot of hope and it gives me a lot of purpose and just like Joseph looked ahead and said one day God's gonna show up Jesus is coming again and if you're a believer here today that ought to motivate you, it ought to compel you, it ought to fill you with a passion to go out into this world and make a difference for Jesus. It ought to make you want to live out your faith. It ought to make you want to live with hope and confidence. It ought to make you want people to see you, the way you talk, the way you live, the way you act, and it be obvious that person trusts God. That person believes God, trusts in God, and trusts in his word. Faith is living with a hopeful expectation. Here's Joseph. He's at the end of his life. He's on his deathbed. And in such a difficult moment, what does he have? Hope. Expectation. God's going to do something. God is going to work. God is going to be faithful. And that's the exact same kind of hope. That's the exact same kind of of a, a message that he wants to bring into your life and mine.